It's 2023, and what is the state of journalism today in our great country of Canada? Well, today I'm going to be talking with our guest, the great Holly Doan, the publisher of the Black Locks Reporter. Welcome, Holly. Nice to see you, David. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense, and innovation. It's urban. It's rural. It's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. Well, Holly, it's an honor to have you back again on Leaders on the Frontier. We want to cover a lot of ground today from the world of Black Locks Reporter, and I love it. We uh, at Frontier, of course, subscribe to it. And uh, so do so many others. So I encourage people to look at Black Rocks as a, as a source of news because I like that it's so factual. You're really looking at the facts. Um, so what is the Black Locks Reporter and what is your focus? Well, Black Locks Reporter, for those of you who don't know us yet, we are marking 11 years in business this October. Uh, we specialize, we are small, independent, unsubsidized media outlet based in Ottawa. And you and, no government money, Holly? Uh, no, we, uh, we don't accept media subsidies. We are opposed to Bill C-18, which we can talk later to you. Mm -hmm. uh, we do not take any secret deals from um, the, the big tech platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, we are not funded by charity or political donations or any benevolent benefactor. We are 100% subscription-based with... Uh, subscribers and licenses, subscriptions starting at $314 and up from there. And we specialize in high volume, five stories a day on federal affairs, no press releases, no question period, five stories a day. And it is aggressive coverage. It is unique. Uh, it focuses on access to information, bills, regulations, uh, public accounts, federal court rulings, tribunal rulings, um, and committee testimony. And there, uh, I, I like to joke that there's two words you'll never hear at Black Locks, and that is sources say. Okay. That'll kill you. That'll kill you in this environment. We are 100% document driven, the government's documents. Mm -hmm. So but to put things into context, though, Black Locks is, you're very unique, and you're covering a huge stage of documents and information. I mean, in some ways, you do an incredible job, but you're, you're, are, you, are you scratching the surface? Is it just the tip of the iceberg here? Would have to be. I mean, the, the one thing that I should say is that we do this kind of work not only because we devoutly believe that through exposure of government waste, mismanagement, and cronyism, Mm -hmm. that the corrections will be made and that Canadians will get better government. Mm -hmm. We believe that. This isn't gotcha journalism. This isn't partisan journalism. We'll do the same thing to the next government and the one after that. Mm -hmm. But we think that uh, because of uh, limits now on access to information, because it's dysfunctional, because of a government that is increasingly secretive, and even some of the documents, we have, we've taught ourselves over 11 years where and how to find these documents. A lot of reporters will say to us, where did you get that? How do you know about that? 
Well, it's it's a little bit like learning how to do the checks. You know, any fledgling local reporter will go into work in the morning and say, okay, what do I do? I check with the cops. I check with the weather office. You know, I check with the fire department to see. Well, we have learned how to do online. Government Governments are mandated to post their work online in many cases. But one of the disheartening things is now we're finding increasingly they are learning or looking for ways to hide documents that they are mandated to uh, present. So, for instance, a story just this week is that the Privy Council is refusing to release any information, any study, research, surveys they have done that is connected to behavioral science and the pandemic. Ooh. What do they mean we don't by know that? What, we don't, well, we'd like to know the answer to that question. What, do, what are you doing? What are you, what are you studying? What behaviors are you studying and why? And maybe um, that's something that Canadians would have a right to know since it's their money and research done on their behalf. But the Privy Council has refused to comment on it and they won't tell the requesters and they won't tell the people involved. Wow. So even... Um, even without the access to information problems, the government is, this government is hyper secretive. You asked, you said, I've seen other governments. Yeah, I've been around in Ottawa since uh, the fall of the Mulroney government and the start of the Chrétien government. And I don't ever recall a government as secretive. No kidding. Well, and, and this is so important. Like if you look at the bigger picture, as you know so well, you really can't have a democracy unless you have many things, including a really robust free flow of information and including a strong and robust media. Is that That is at the heart of this, is it not? The government also has become, and other reporters have commented on this too, that the frustration in getting answers to questions, uh, basic questions go, uh, questions go ignored, unanswered, uh, the operation of government and the communications, we call it the communications industrial complex, mm -hmm. they, they are uh, contrary to what you would think should be the case, where if a reporter calls a communications person in government and asks for an answer to a technical question, let's say, that the... The, the job of that communications person should be to connect you with a director, with someone with technical expertise, mm -hmm. uh, an, an analyst. Uh, the purpose of communications now is an intelligence gathering exercise. Their job now is to collect information on you, the requester, to find out what it is you're asking. So the two mm -hmm. questions are, what are your questions? What are your debt? What's your deadline? In other words, oh. tell us what you're doing. And tell us how long we can get away with not answering this question. You're kidding. And, so they, they flipped it then. It's not about serving the public. It's about serving themselves in a way. It's collecting information on what, what media is doing. And so uh, we actually don't really, at Blacklocks, don't bother with communications much anymore. They, they don't like that much. But it doesn't, to put in, uh, you know, bumper sticker slogans, that are offered up that in no way answer our question is not a service to the public, nor does it is even a service to journalists who are taught to get both sides. Just putting in what they said when it had nothing to do with your question is actually a disservice to the audience. So the, the method of our journalism is to, why would I ask a communications representative what the what the answer is when I can just read their emails? Wow. So I'm, I think most Canadians would be kind of shocked to hear that like because we, we'd always we're used to the kind of this innocent image of 
you know, the, the tussle of a newsroom where, you know, representatives from the government are, are, are um, being asked tough questions by the media and there's a sharing of information, but eventually, you know, they're able to get to the truth and bottom of a story, but gosh, how do you get to the bottom of the story? If, if, you know, yeah, in, 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 in the old days, like in the nineties, when I first came to Ottawa, it was not uh, unusual to get a uh, assistant deputy minister on the phone, even to uh, explain something. And now they are protected by a phalanx, a phalanx of comms guys to collect information on what media is doing and funnel it back to the center. Okay, so in by by, by comms people, you mean communications staff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are working for that minister or the government, the prime mm-hmm. minister's office, that's and right. they're there to run interference on everything, really. Is that right? But the, that's right. But you know what's, what's disheartening, and we see through access to information and reading their emails, what's disheartening is how many people in media acquiesce and, and, and vomit up their questions. You never, this, this was a principle going back to, you know, ink stained scribes, uh, you know, directed by nicotine stained editors. You don't, my questions are none of your business. You put me with the interview and I'll ask the questions. Wow. Uh, But you'll be surprised how many reporters give up their questions because, um, and how many reporters go to work in communications. And so it's no wonder that the public can no longer tell the difference between government messaging and media messaging. Sometimes I can't tell either. So, so in 2023, you're saying that there's a kind of a dynamic where not only do you have a revolving door of media people between the media and the government working for communications, but also you have use the the phrase vomit up questions <laughs> and like what do you mean by that in the context that they're not holding their own questions but just kind of following the cue of what the government wants them to ask in other words the communications person is not going to help you if you don't tell me what your questions are and so once i know your questions i can write up the government messaging answers and then you will take them and that's what you will put into your story wow. and then you'll have both sides so who is serving whom here uh, it's 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 messaging. It's just government messaging uh, that's that's worming its way into news copy because reporters themselves are either um, green or tired, wow, or overburdened uh, as newsrooms hollow out. Well, that that is such a shame to hear that in 2023 because we do need strong media. We need strong journalists, and uh, it, it sounds like they're being blocked or or they're going along with it. Well, so that's why you find another way to do business, and that's black locks. Okay. Wow. What a what a revelation again. So, speaking of journalism, what would you say? I mean, you've worked at senior levels as a journalist at all the the key networks from CBC, CTV, um, among others, and and so many domestic and international posts. What would you say makes for a strong or great journalist? I'm not sure what a journalism professor would say or what other journalists would say, but I can tell you what I think. Um, I think the ability to bird dog the facts is a given. The ability to push through the messaging that comes at you, if we're talking about reporting on government, is a given. I think the public expects that. Journalists that I have come to admire are those who are fearless those who don't give a damn the kind of pushback they're going to get from comms guys, from the prime minister's office, Mm -hmm. from Twitter, from partisan trolls, 
the people who uh, are able to ignore that because they know the story is right and they know they've done their work and they mm -hmm. know that it's a higher purpose. Yeah. And, and there are people who do that. And I, I admire that fearlessness. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've seen some pretty fear, fearless journalism, but perhaps not enough of it in the last year. I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of Sam Cooper. Exactly. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Bob Fife and Steve Chase. Yes. Um, you know, whatever you see with grief they get, either at committee or on Twitter, that's nothing compared to what they're getting behind the scenes. And in these days, most media outlets don't have uh, a management organization that's willing to back you up because everybody is um, worried about pushback, worried about mm -hmm. government subsidies. I mean, people like to say the media is bought off. It's not an exact tra uh, transaction. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just, the, there's a meeting of the minds if you know what's good for you. Mm -hmm. and you want to stay in business yeah well it's interesting you mentioned those uh three outstanding journalists it was is quite a revelation to see them in action uh uh working at some very important stories and with courage i would say and uh i think that really frankly increased their credibility in the eyes of a lot of the the public i've heard from so i thought that was very impressive so well uh, th i think that's that's really good that you cite them um but another part of the, the world of journalism is the so-called rise of activist journalism. And we've seen this past year, I would say, almost like a, a hyper rise of all kinds of activist causes from the trans issue to climate alarmism uh, to um, perceived racial uh, injustice. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. It's incredible. Has that kind of undermined the media? Like how what? What's your advice on, on how to kind of see those kinds of issues as we see, we see the rise of activism journalism? I, I think activism journalism has taken hold in the absence of real journalism. When real journalism leaves the field, all sorts of other things will creep in there. Mm. What, what do I mean by that? We've talked about this before. Once upon a time, uh, journalists uh, graduated from college or university and they went to some little job in Truro or Red Deer and they covered school board and they covered highway wrecks and then maybe they graduated to City Hall uh, in, um, in Saskatoon or Cornwall and then after that maybe if they get picked up somewhere they'd get a shot at a provincial legislature and so this was my course so by the time I'll just use myself for an example. By the time I came to Ottawa, I already had 11 years covering all those things. Wow. And journalism is an apprenticeship system. You can't learn everything you need to know from university. You have to learn on your feet in the field. Mm -hmm. So it's not uncommon now for journalists to graduate Carleton or Ryerson or the University of Regina. And, and so what happens then is then when those reporters with little life experience little background experience as journalists, uh, they're asked to cover something, let's say um, a farm subsidy bill or a business subsidy bill. They don't know anything about those subjects. They might never, if they're from urban Ontario, they might never have met a farmer. Mm -hmm. They might not know any small business people. And so they, they have gaps in their knowledge and they don't know how to frame a story with facts. Yeah. And so this is where the activism can sneak in, in that they, in their 
overzealousness to make a better Canada and change the world. And by the way, I never thought it was my job to make a better Canada. Mm-hmm. Not at all. That's right. not my job. They will uh, replace in their stories the places where facts used to go or should go because they don't know how to find those facts. They don't have the experience. They will replace those gaps with adjectives or concepts that describe the way they believe the story should mm-hmm. could be or should be from their perspective. So sometimes they are committing act, acts of activist journalism and don't even know they're doing it. Now, once upon a time, you would have some editor like a Lou Grant type character that would tell you, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that, Holly? Or that lead is awful. Or we covered that, we covered that story six months ago. You don't have anything here. Those people, too, have been uh, retired, laid off, fired, and there isn't the staff anymore. And the people that are maybe approving your story before it gets in the paper, mm-hmm. uh, they might be 35 years old themselves. Yeah. We need those Lou Grants from the, what was it, the Mary Tyler Moore show? Exactly. The That's right. Room. We need and those mentors. Right. And I mean, you know, you remember Mary's reaction. <laughs> But, you know, it's not that those reporters always mean to be activist or mm-hmm. to have woke narratives. And I, I think when you look at a story, if you look for facts and, and, and understand the absence of them, then you'll understand that it really was just somebody who didn't know what they're doing, as opposed to somebody who wants to change the world. Now, I'm not saying that those don't exist, but usually they will migrate to specific kinds of independent media, let's say that are uh, climate based or environmental or social issues or uh, right wing partisan, mm-hmm. um, you know, are civil libertarian in their view. I think we all know who those who that array of left and right wing organizations mm-hmm. are. Um, but the, the, the fact that some journalists end up in jobs where they are not yet prepared to find facts and deliver facts is not really their fault. It's the fault of a failed industry. Exactly. Yeah. So it's pretty humbling and in all fairness to journalists, there's a lot of variables at play. And so I, I like the idea of the insight that you have that an apprenticeship system is very important and uh, it takes a great deal of skill and experience to be a great journalist. Um, so I did want to shift then a little bit to the whole area then of government funding. We've seen that unfold. Um, I think we chuckled last time about how the uh, government funding system was not only extensive, some 2,000 outlets. It's kind of amazing. But it was all going to be temporary, Holly. Do you remember that discussion? And um, it was about uh, defending democracy when, in fact, it seems like they've doubled down on funding to try to look at how they can increase it. Um, Has that acceptance of government funding compromised the credibility of a lot of journalists? I think that the the subsidies, and you're right, the, the former chairman of News Media Canada testified in May of 2019 at Finance Committee, I was there, that this isn't a, quote, bailout, he said, this isn't going to save media, we, quote, have to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's what we were promised, that it was temporary. Well, did your local paper get any better since 2019 when yeah. this temporary money was awarded to journalism? And I should mention to you as well about that, even the subsidies, there was $595 million assigned for income 
tax supports to publishers. That's each reporter, each head in your newsroom would be uh, worth $13,500. And that's what the, the subsidy was worth. Well, guess what? The subsidy program is undersubscribed. What does that mean? That means that there are so few people left in those newsrooms wow. that the publishers could not even soak up the amount of money that was available. It is, as of January, it was 43% undersubscribed. That's amazing. So that, that was a black lock story. That's an example of information. I'm not going to use my, um, my platform to preach mm -hmm. about subsidies. I'm just going to tell you what happened. And yeah. I'm going to tell you with the government's figures, the assistant, um, assistant associate deputy minister of heritage testified before committee in April that quote, journalism remains in decline. It was an acknowledgement that the subsidies didn't work. So what do we think, what difference has it made? None. But the problem, the difference that it does make is that once you are a recipient of welfare, it is addictive. The businesses needed to retool. They needed dramatic uh, uh, they needed to be torn down and built back up. And Innovate. all of a sudden it was delay the pain, which we now are seeing a, a cas cascading through this, through the, through the media industry. That is uh, 1300 layoffs at Bell Media, at the company I used to work for uh, wow. last month. Uh, and now we see post media with the wolves at the door and the Toronto star, the same, and they have announced a merger that surely everybody can see is designed to suck the marrow out of those companies. Nobody, nobody thinks that's about making better journalism. Well, so this is a very tough time. And that so-called vision of funding really hasn't panned out and worked the way people envision it would. It's not really moved the ball forward when it comes to a very important industry, has it? Yeah, it, it's it's not an industry that can be subsidized because there's not enough money for the amount of money that ha the amount of change and retooling that has to be done. There's not enough money to save the business model as it exists, which is what they're trying to do. They're trying to prop up those dead trees, yeah. and 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 what it, what it has done, unfortunately, and we were very concerned about this, which is why we didn't take the subsidies, even though other smaller outlets did. And we are keeping track of those and will remind people moving forward who took the subsidies. Um, they, they poisoned Canadians against us. What, what do they, you mean they, 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 further, they further eroded trust. Yeah. We are all bought off. And it doesn't matter whether you're taking the subsidies or not. They think mm -hmm. we're all bought off. And so as Mr. Rodriguez, the heritage minister, suggested earlier this week that that there will they will still provide resources, even if no agreement is reached with the tech giants. Quote, we will provide resources to support Canadian media. Most of us took that to understand the word resources means subsidies. Wow. Because the, the, the income supports to publishers, the media bailout, runs out exactly one year from now in 2024, June of 2024. And uh, that remark unless he was shooting from the hip because he didn't know what else to say, suggests the government is preparing to renew the subsidies if all else fails. Wow, that's incredible. I did want to ask you a question related to funding because I, I think it's a profound discussion about credibility with the audience, no less. Because uh, if you don't have that credibility, um, what are you really doing? Um, what is your future? Um, that, that's a huge problem. 
but in 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 the case of funding do recipients of the program have to sign an agreement that they have to cover news stories in a particular way um their uh, uh, coverage as it exists now is assessed by a quote independent panel of mm, our peers or our betters most of them are academics or former journalists and then if that panel judges the journalism outlet to be real journalists uh, doing real original content um, doing fact checking policies of corrections etc mm -hmm. then they are recommended for funding to the canada revenue agency and then it goes from there but one of the conditions of accepting funding is that you must the, the media outlet must agree to provide a right of rebuttal something called the right of rebuttal and now that i guess in theory applies to uh david lease if you want to complain about a story you must be given the right of rebuttal or the canada revenue agency if they don't like your story now we were talking about communications people earlier in this conversation that is their job to correct media that is their job to ask for corrections, even if the correction is and, and we a story we had this week that the Department of Health has had 248 corrections. This is according to an internal government document, yeah. 248 corrections in the last two, two and a half, three years. Some of them may be as simple as you put the wrong name in the photo. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. 248. That means the government is now in the business of correcting media and why not you signed a right of rebuttal when you agreed to take the money wow so so this is kind of the the uh, again the powerful revelation of what black you and your team black rocks is doing in terms of showing the facts of how there's this emerging communication industrial complex that is really controlling the information that canadians drink in every day Right. And the, the government on the political end of it, they will say they have to do it to counter misinformation. But one of the largest perpetrators of misinformation, I don't say this with any uh, a kind of classic notion no. in my head, or but the, one of the largest perpetrators of misinformation is the government and the communications industrial complex. Yeah. The first thing you'll hear is that story is not accurate. And that's a that's intimidating. That's the way they get you to change the story and take it down. Well, well said. Holly Doan, the publisher of Black Locks Meet Reporter. We're so delighted that we can have this conversation. And thank you so much for your courage and your leadership. Well, I think, you know, I lived in China and we had a phrase there. It was called, uh, it said, Niguo Jiangla, which means basically translated, you overpraise. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And Xiaxian. Uh, thank you. Zaijian. <laughs> Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.